Welcome to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolsma. It is so good to have you along for this episode. You're going to be really glad that you tuned in because today's guest is author Mary Keneally. She is a fabulous writer. She is very talented. She is very funny, very witty, and that makes her books super enjoyable. And so I know you're going to love the interview that I had with her. Before we get to her, just remember to please subscribe if you haven't done so. You're missing out on episodes by not subscribing. So that way you get notified on your phone and you know as soon as a new episode is out there. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can just search Christian Historical Fiction Talk on any of those platforms and we're there. So please do that as well. We're also on Pinterest if you'd like to follow us there. And you can get great input into the shows there as well as finding out when new episodes release as well. That does it for that. And so let's just get right into this wonderful conversation that I had with Mary. Welcome to the show today, Mary. It is so good to have you with us. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. I'm looking forward to it. I am too. I've known of you and about you for quite a while. And so it's fun to talk to you and get to know a little more about you and about your latest book. So before we get to the book, let's start with you. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I am, uh, I'm the wife of a Nebraska cattleman. And I think sometimes the, the books I write kind of come from just living that life from, I think I bring some authenticity to it because of that. And I'm also the mother of four daughters. And I think a lot of the comedy in my books comes because my husband is from a family of seven sons and uh, he just really doesn't know what to make of, of all this girl stuff that they do. And it's, it's pretty funny to watch. So anyway, so that's, uh, that's my life. This is my 70 first book maybe this oh this one that we're going to talk about today so wow so you just really write and write and write do you do anything else other than writing uh you know i i really don't sometimes the kids drag me away and say mom come and talk to us and so then i do but uh yeah i when people say you got to go go write and be serious about write, writing. My my life is just the opposite. It's like I need to get away from the computer once in a while because that's just my happy place. That's where I'm having the best time. So go spend some time out in nature and with my grandkids. And it's not it's a reflex to just. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say I I get that. My husband has literally come and shut the top of my laptop and said. That's it. You're done. It's time to be done writing. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, they put up with a lot. Heaven knows. So they sure do. So I guess we can give them a few minutes here and there anyway. <laughs> a few. Yeah. Now you have a new book out, Inventions of the Heart, and it's book two in the Lumber Baron's Daughters series. So why don't you start out by telling us a little about the series in general, and then the book Inventions of the Heart specifically. Okay, well, I started this book. For one thing, I had never set a book in California. I mean, when you write Westerns, you're like the Rocky Mountains in Texas. I mean, it's so hard not to set those books in those places that sometimes I just have to force myself to do it. 
And I realized I'm writing me, my books in, in what was called the Industrial Revolution. It's when they switched over from horsepower and manpower to machine power. And they were just inventing stuff every every minute there's just new inventions new patents it's fascinating it's it's just i love reading about it and so i wanted to make my heroines especially in this book inventors i wanted to make them part of that industrial revolution but of course also this all this opportunity is not really there for women but their father's the father of three daughters and he's got gotten around the fact that they don't want his daughters in engineering colleges. And so he he's just gone to great lengths to have professors come in and educate these daughters because he's got a lumber dynasty. And when everybody else was digging gold in California gold rush, he figured out the lumber was selling for almost as much as the gold. And so he goes up in the mountains and buys a mountain because they don't sell for anything. And all of a sudden he's rich. He is so rich selling lumber to all these people that are trying to build San Francisco and, and, and Sacramento. That's the general area that he's in. And then he has no sons to take over his lumber dynasty. And he's determined that his children, his daughters, will know what they need to know to take over the lumber dynasty. And the first daughter was a chemical engineer before that was really a word. And what she was trained for was to blow holes in mountains. And so they can lay train tracks and send logs down. And then this second daughter is the inventor and she's just using all the technology that's just flooding at her and working on it and fixing it. And, and the goal that these three daughters have, because it was their father's goal, is to build a train track to the top of this mountain to carry the logs down and to carry supplies up because they're so cut off on top of this mountain. So this is the inventor. She's And she's not inventing nice little things for the house. She is inventing heavy-duty brakes to go underneath a train car. And she's trying to increase the power of the engine that's pulling these train cars up and down the mountains and she's just she just has a creative wonderful mind and i just i just enjoyed applying all that industrial revolution and all the new inventions to her so that's that's the main story and then her their father dies that's the big overall story and her mother remarries a guy that is just a cad and one of the things he's determined to do is get his daughters married off because there's a lot of men who will pay a lot of money for these women because they are connected to a fortune. So the women run for their lives and the, the will that they inherited from their father says they can inherit when they're 25 or when they get married. Well, they always just were content to wait till they were 25 and now all of a sudden here comes this man into their life and they've all got to go get married. So in the book one, they run, and the first daughter finds a husband, and now in the second book, the second daughter found a cowboy she thinks she wants to marry, but then she needs to take him back to her mountaintop mansion where they're going to be loggers. And he's like, I'm going to have a ranch. I'm not going with you. And so that's the clash as they try to figure out how they can, because she really kind of likes him, and she kind of likes that he's strong enough willed she can't just run all over him. And the same time she really wants to be in charge and run all over him so she doesn't know quite what to do so and their stepfather's out there 
hunting for them, searching for them, ready to grab them and drag them off to the altar with these of these vile, creepy old cronies that he has lined up for them. So, yeah, I love that idea and the whole premise of the series and the book in particular, Inventions of the Heart. I love that these girls, they'd be just very comfortable in the STEM classes today, wouldn't they? Yeah, that's they're they're brilliant and their their parents were just so great about just making them be the most they could be and so so then whenever there's real big trouble well they all stop and think because they're like if we're smarter than anything that's going on here we can fix this but we need to think about it for a minute so yeah they're geniuses i mean they're naturally geniuses and then they're educated to be brilliant too so yeah it was a fun story to write I can imagine because a lot of the heroines, especially in Westerns and things, they're maybe a teach school teacher, possibly a nurse or something, if it's a Civil War book or something like that. I love that you give them really, really different occupations, something that women just wouldn't have at that time. And I think that makes for an even more interesting character. Yeah, I just, I just need a feisty heroine. I can't seem to just go with a damsel in distress, sweet little thing that needs to be rescued. Although these ladies do need to be rescued, but by golly, they think they can probably rescue themselves. But <laughs> they all run into a moment of danger and then they're like, all right, I'll get married. Let's go. <laughs> so yeah, I had a lot of fun writing it. You just mentioned there's an element of danger. There's some suspense here. There's some comedy. There's some romance, a little bit of everything for everybody. How do you go about mixing all of that into one book? Well, you know, as a rule, the comedy just seems to just creep in there. I don't know if I've just got a sassy mouth, I don't know, sarcasm or whatever, but that seems to just come. So that's not too hard to come by. The action part, I just, I start to get itchy if they don't, if somebody's not shooting at them, you know? I mean, I just need somebody to run for your life. And, and that's what I love to read. I always say if they're, if they're sassing each other and falling in love while they're running for their lives, then I'm happy. That's what I want in a book. And so that's what I read. So that's what I write. So anyway, this is, uh, it's, it's almost reflex at this point. I, if things are going on too slow, I just like, how, where's a cliff? Let's go fall over a cliff somewhere. So <laughs> anyway. That's great. Now, you mentioned this is something like your 71st book, and most of them are about cowboys. That's what you said you like to read. That's your life. How do you keep it fresh after 71 books? So it's not this, you're not writing the same book over and over again. You know, you would think that I would be. I, I That's a question that even I can't quite answer. I'm just right now finishing up the Lumber Baron's Daughters, it's something I've never done before with these highly educated, intelligent women and logging in California. It's all new to me as far as a writer. And now the book I'm going to do next is about women's suffrage in Wyoming. Did you know Wyoming was the first state to legalize women, give women the right to vote of all odd things? 
So anyway, so I saw that and I'm just like, what can I do with that? You know, let's see what we can do. So, so I just found that so different and so interesting. And I searched researching all the women's suffrage stuff is so, it's just strange really. So that it was so hard for women to get the vote. I, I don't know. Maybe I don't keep it fresh. I don't know. I might be kidding myself. <laughs> but I feel like I've got excited ideas I'm excited about. So, Right. Yeah, it sounds like you take the setting and the Western part of it, and then you find a different angle to it, a different aspect. It's like all the World War II authors out there who find something different about World War II and, and can always look at it from some different position and bring something new to it. So I love that you do that as well with the, your Western slash cowboy stories. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, you find really interesting things. Usually I find an idea for the next book while I'm researching the current book. So I just read a book that's so interesting about insane asylums. And women who were more or less locked up in those insane asylums. I haven't even pitched this book to Bethany yet, so I better not talk about it. Because <laughs> I might not ever get permission to write it. But it's just okay. so interesting. So I'm doing the women's suffrage. And then I'm, then I'm going to see if they'll let me write a book about women who are in danger of getting locked up in insane asylums. So And what they do to save themselves. I have my reflexes to have them all run for Wyoming where women have had some rights, but I can't set right. every book in Wyoming. I got to figure that out. So Sure, sure. Now, this series, the Lumber Baron's Daughters series, you've done quick release with them. Book one, The Element of Love came out in March, and now book two, Inventions of the Heart, came out in July, and the third one, A Model of Devotion, comes out in October. Why did you choose to do such a quick release? What benefit is there of doing it like that? Well, I... I start to, you know, like I, I, I need to be writing or I get in trouble. I start doing weird stuff and then you know, wandering off. And I just have found that that's about the right pace for me. I can write three books a year. So I asked Bethany House if they'd let me have that fast of a release and they went for it. So this would be the second Second series is going to be three books in a year. And then I've got next year, I've got three more books. I kind of like them coming fast. I think readers like that, but I don't know. I, they seem to sell okay. So so for right now, I'm going to keep it up as long as Bethany House will let me do it because I really, really like doing doing it at that pace. I could, think I could almost write a fourth book, but then I think it'd start to get scary because I don't know yeah. if quite. <laughs> so, but... Anyway, I kind of like a series coming out all in one year. I like the rhythm of that. So for now, I want to keep doing it. Yeah, I think readers do appreciate that, especially when books build on each other. That way they don't have to wait too long. You don't forget the first book or the second book before you read the next one. So as a reader, I do appreciate the quick release because I can remember the first book then and keep up with the continuity for sure. Well, I usually, for a while I was doing two books a year, and then I was finding a couple of novellas, and I was re-releasing some old books I'd gotten my rights back to, and some old books that I'd never gotten published, and I don't know, I just, 
I'd assume somebody else do all that work of the covers <laughs> and all the editing and everything. So yeah. when I have to do it myself, then then that's not as fun. So so it's working out for me, and I hope I'm I'm delighted that Bethany House lets me do that, and I hope they keep letting me. So that's good. Tell us a little bit about how you got your very first contract. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's like the third best moment of my life. And I got four kids and I'm married to a man I'm pretty (laughs) fond of. So that's just, I wrote for 10 years before I got my first book published. And at the end of that 10 years, I had 20 published books on my computer, 20 finished books on my computer. And I'd been seriously pursuing publication all that time. You know, it's not like now when you write a book and you can just go to Amazon and publish it. You had to get a publisher. So I was at the ACFW conference and Barber Publishing used to have a moment at every at every conference when they would give a contract to an unpublished author. And the year I got my first book published, I knew there was a chance. I knew there was a chance it could be me. They had a book. They, you know, they'd they'd even asked for some revisions in it. And then when they finally announced it, they called somebody else. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like clapping. I've been told no before. I'm used to it. No big deal. And then they said, and this year we're giving two. And they said my name. I'm telling you, I still get chills. Just telling you that story, I get chills thinking about it. It was a fantastic moment. My gosh, I got to go up on stage. Tracy Peterson was who was given a contract. That's what she was working for Barber at the time. Oh, what a wonderful moment. And then they handed me this paper. And I went back to my table and I'm crying. And Becky Germany was at my table, which I don't even remember how that happened. And I don't even know what was going on. And I'd been sitting there for a long time and I finally unfolded this piece of paper. It wasn't the book that I had written and finished. It it was a book I'd pitched. I had to go home and write a book. I had 20 finished books on my computer and I sold an unpublished book. And so then I went home and it's like six weeks. I mean, powered down those little heart songs. Remember those? They were really short, about 45,000. And I, six weeks and the book's done. And I write to Barbara and I'm like, so when do you want it? They're like, we want it in July the next year. You know, (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing. So anyway, that was it. And it's still just one of the great thrilling moments of my life. So, yeah. And actually, I have to tell you, I remember that moment very, very well, because I was in the audience that evening. Yes, I remember Was I just goofy? I mean, I don't even know what I acted like. (laughs) All I know is I do remember they said one and then they said, and this year we're giving two. And I also had some stuff with them and I was holding my breath waiting for my name to be called and they didn't didn't call my name. So I was, thank you. Yes, I was probably crying, but not for the same reason as you were. (laughs) Oh, shoot. Well, you finally beat them out. (laughs) I I got it anyway, so it all worked out for sure. Yeah. Well, I really thought at the time, because so many people clapping, and I'm thinking half of the people in this crowd are thinking, my book's nothing wrong with my book. I don't know why they gave it to her. (laughs) But uh, it was great. So, yeah. Yeah. I I loved that. That That was wonderful. 
you touched on your husband. You and your husband have four daughters. I know my dad had three daughters. So how did your husband manage to survive life in a house with five girls? You know, he was just, he spent a lot of time just mystified. He really did. <laughs> I remember, I remember one time, this is, this is classic. My husband, we were at a softball game and, and the, my daughter, my oldest daughter, and she got, she got the final out or, or I don't know what she did, but she got benched. That was it. We come home from that softball game and she is crying, crying, will not stop crying. She's humiliated, heartbroken, it's terrible. And I'm sitting in there with her in her bedroom, just patting her on the back. You know, there, there, honey, it'll be okay. And my husband comes storming in and he's like, I'm going to call that coach. I'm going to tell him he should have never done that. And then my daughter starts crying harder. No, don't do that. And then storms out and then he comes back in and he's just like, I don't know what he's yelling and my daughter's crying and, and he storms back out. And finally he comes back in the last time and he pulls his wallet out of his pocket and he says, I'll give you $20 if you'll stop crying. <laughs> and my daughter is a bright little thing. What? Nobody's ever got benched before. She's, she's getting control of her cries. She's like snatches the $20 out and, and everything's better. He solved the whole problem. And I just thought, I don't know if we want to train the girls you know, men will give them money if they cry. I don't really think that's the lesson we want to learn. But he just spent a lot of time saying, this never happened at my house. This did not This did not go on with my seven brothers. So, And it was just a lot of comedy in watching him just be confused and frustrated. And, and he just adores them. They're just his favorite people in the world. And I honestly think he was a better father to to daughters than he would have been to sons. I can just picture him because there we are, you know, on the on the farm and ranch land, and I'm, he'd have been he'd have had to drag them out there to work. And I don't, I think he would have been hard on them. Not that there's anything wrong with work, but you right. know, he can be kind of cranky. So, and he yelled at the girls, and they start to cry, and then he'd back off. So, <laughs> but the boys wouldn't have gotten to do that. So. I, he did a good job raising up four daughters. So, yeah, I, but I think he spent a lot of time just very confused. So, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I get that. My my husband was an only child, and then our first child was a boy, and then we had a girl. And when she was about five years old, she had her first little friend over. We did a, like a kid exchange. So my son would go to our friend's house okay. and play with their son, and their daughter would come to our house and play with our daughter. And those two little five-year-olds spent the entire afternoon on the couch sitting and just giggling about nothing, absolutely nothing, just giggling. <laughs> and I remember my husband saying to me, what are they doing in there? What in the world is so funny? And I said, get used to Oh, my to husband it. didn't do that because they would giggle and they would cry and they would chatter <laughs> and all those th things. And he would just like, what is so funny? What are they crying for? Just their girls, honey. Just call them. Yeah. Just get used to it. So, that was so much fun. Yeah. yeah that is. Now, you mentioned a little bit you have A Model of Devotion, which is the third book in the Lumber Baron's Daughters series coming out in October. And then a, a new series starting. So you can, can you tell us a, just a little bit more? You mentioned them, but a, but a little bit more about the next couple books coming out. Okay, Model of Devotion is book three, and that's the third daughter 
and she's the one who's going to build the railroad. When two of the daughters are married, now all of a sudden they've got controlling interest in this lumber dynasty and in all their funds and everything, and they cut the stepfather out. And now he's got two son-in-laws to stand between between the bad guy and the mama who is just devastated that she brought this man into their lives. And Jilly, she's the third daughter, and she's the one who's taking all the explosive stuff the first daughter does and all the invention stuff the second daughter does. And she's the like the civil engineer. These are all words that barely existed back then. I, You know, it's so fun to try to talk about something that existed but didn't have a name. And that's the way engineering was. It's like engineering was the word. There weren't subtypes. So she's the civil engineer, and she's trying to build a train track up the side of a mountain. And her sisters are helping. And, of course, there's a, a, still a threat because the guy who wanted to marry her, he didn't want her just for the money. He wants her, and he's awful. But Julia's had some bad experiences and she does not want to get married. And of course, danger comes too close to her. And she finally agrees to marry my hero from that book just to just to save herself. Complete marriage of convenience or forced marriage or whatever you'd call it. So that's that's a model of devotion. We call it that because there's a model of the bridges. She One of the bridges she's going to have to build. There's oh. I've done research on train building through the mountains. It's fascinating. The trestles and the bridges and the blasting. I mean, it's just what an enterprise, what an undertaking that it was to build that railroad through the Rocky Mountains. And then that, so that's coming in October, Model of Devotion. And then the next year, and we're already working on those because you know you work so far ahead. And that is called Wyoming Sunrise. And this is these three women who are friends who are all in Wyoming. They have different reasons for being there, but they're loving it and staying there because of women's suffrage, because they want that power over their own lives. And so one of them's a lady blacksmith. I kind of have them against type, you know, doing men's jobs. And the second one is a justice of the peace. She she wants to be, be a seamstress, but her deceased husband was a sheriff, and she really knows a lot about law and order. And and there's a gang of outlaws running the range, and and so that's the they name her the very first female justice of the peace was in Wyoming, and I read all about her, and so I have my heroine being like the second one or or close to it, so. And then the third one is a lady rancher, which I just make all my heroines lady ranchers. I just have to fight that like crazy because that's, that's just knee jerk to make them all lady ranchers. So so I could let her be a lady rancher. So yeah. anyway, and that's all coming. And the fact that suffrage is a thing is kind of the backdrop to all these women kind of working against female stereotypes. And... Uh, Anyway, I had a lot of fun writing those books. They're, they're, they're going to be good. Well, we're looking forward to those. If listeners would like to connect with you, where can they go to find you? Well, I have a, a website, marykeneally.com. The trick there is always spelling my name, which is spelled weirdly, but you can probably find it eventually. I'm on Facebook, 
I'm part of a blog called Seekerville, which is about learning to write. And then I'm part of a blog called Petticoats and Pistols, which is about Western romance. So those are those are all great ways to find me. And you can email me at mary at marykeneally.com too. Sounds wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Mary, for joining us today. It sure has been an awful lot of fun. And we'll be looking forward to reading Inventions of the Heart and all the books coming up in the next year or so. All right. Thanks. Thanks. It's fun to talk to you, Liz. Well, that was so much fun to get to talk to Mary. She is an absolute hoot. I can't believe how fast she writes books. And the thing about them is, is that they're always so very well written. So she not only produces a lot, but she produces a lot of quality fiction. So if you have not picked up Inventions of the Heart, I would definitely encourage you to not only pick up that book, but the entire series. And we'll be looking forward to her next series next year and perhaps getting a chance to chat with her then. If you would like to find out more about Mary or about this book or the entire series, then please head over to my website, liztolsma.com. You should find the podcast tab there, and Mary's interview will be on there along with all the information about her, a handy link to buy the book, and information on how you can become a patron of Christian Historical Fiction Talk. Next week on the show, we are going to go back to a topic that I had said we were going to talk about, and then life happened to me, and it never fully got completed, but that is, what is a non-starter for you in a book? What is going to make you stop and not finish a book or perhaps not even pick it up in the first place? So you've had your input on this. That's why I encourage you to follow Christian Historical Fiction Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, because that's where you can find out a lot of information about the podcast and where I very often ask questions or put up polls or something like that in order to get your input on the show. So this is not my show, but it's your show. And what you have told me is this non-starter for you in a book. So please join us next week for that show. I really appreciate your support. I appreciate you spreading the word and letting people know about Christian Historical Fiction Talk. It is always so much fun to have these guests. I'm looking forward to having many more come on in the future. I hope you have a great week, and we will see you later.